You are listening to the best OBGYN podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to our podcast. In this session, we're going to give you a sneak peek of the upcoming August 2019 edition of Obstetrics and Gynecology. We're going to highlight and summarize the committee opinion on adnexal torsion in adolescent patients because some of the recommendations may surprise you. Let's get to that now. In August 2019, ACOG will release committee opinion number 783, which is adnexal torsion in adolescence. Adnexal torsion, including torsion of a normal or pathological ovary, torsion of a fallopian tube, a paratubal cyst, or any combination of these, is the fifth most common gynecological emergency. Now remember that 30% of all cases of adnexal torsion occur in females younger than 20. Adnexal torsion is a surgical diagnosis. The risk of torsion increases when pelvic masses exceed a certain size, and that size is 5 centimeters. Now, the most common ovarian pathologies found in adolescents with adnexal torsion are benign functional cysts and benign teratomas. Torsion of malignant ovarian masses in this population is actually pretty rare. Now, 64% of adnexal torsions occur on the right side, so that's a clinical pearl. The lower rate of torsion on the left side is attributed to the protective nature of the descending colon. Okay, so let's get into some clinical pearls. Remember that medicine tends to have cited biases. For example, DVT in pregnancy is much more common on the left. Pyelonephritis in pregnancy is more common on the right, as is ovarian vein thrombosis. And remember, we just said that adnexal torsions occur most commonly on the right. Now, if ovarian torsion is suspected, timely intervention with diagnostic laparoscopy is indicated to preserve ovarian function and future fertility. All right, when we come back, let's cover the clinical presentation of adnexal torsion in adolescents. The most common clinical symptom of torsion is sudden onset abdominal pain that is intermittent, non-radiating, and associated with nausea and vomiting. Nausea and vomiting have been reported in 62 and 67% of cases, respectfully. Now, data suggests that nausea and vomiting occur more commonly in premenarchal patients, and these symptoms are more commonly reported in pediatric and adolescent patients with torsion than in those with an ovarian cyst alone. Now, clinical signs of adnexal torsion include abdominal tenderness, which has been reported in up to 88% of patients with torsion. Rebound and peritoneal signs are reported in only 12 to 27% of patients. Now, clinical signs may also include a palpable adnexal mass. However, a bimanual exam generally is not necessary or tolerated in pediatric and adolescent patients. Now, on to diagnostic testing. 
Transabdominal ultrasound is the imaging modality of choice. It has a sensitivity of 92% and a specificity of 96%. When torsed, all ovaries are enlarged. A completely normal appearing ovary on ultrasound is unlikely to be torsed. Now, here's a clinical pearl. The use of Doppler studies in detecting that nexal torsion is limited because of their low sensitivity and operator dependency. Once again, I was trained to look for Doppler flow for ovarian torsion, but this really doesn't really complete the diagnosis. The presence of Doppler arterial flow does not rule out torsion. For instance, one study reported normal Doppler arterial flow in as many as 60% of surgically confirmed cases of torsion. Perservation of Doppler arterial flow can be explained by intermittent torsion, collateral blood supply from the utero-ovarian vessels or the IP vessels, or a torsed paratubal cyst. So, Doppler flow alone should not guide clinical decision-making, and that's according to the college. Well, what about CT or MRI? Let's talk about that next. If CT imaging is obtained, findings that may indicate adnexal torsion include asymmetric ovarian enlargement, uterine deviation towards the pathological side, so that's a clinical pearl, pelvic-free fluid, and fat strounding adjacent to the ovary. Once again, CT can show uterine deviation towards the pathological side. When CT imaging suggests torsion, surgery should not be delayed to wait for ultrasound. Similarly, MRI imaging may show decreased ovarian enhancement post-contrast, asymmetric enlargement of an ovary, uterine deviation again towards the affected side, and presence of multiple small peripherally located follicles typically best seen on T2-weighted images. All right, guys, as we get to the end of our podcast, let's end here by a quick summary of the key recommendations for management from the American College of OBGYN. First, remember that there are no clinical or imaging criteria that's sufficient to confirm the pre-op diagnosis of adnexal torsion, so have a low index of suspicion, especially in adolescents, since preservation of future fertility is key. Next, Doppler flow alone should not guide clinical decision-making. Although more than one-half of cases of pediatric and adolescent adnexal torsions occur in the setting of an adnexal mass, cancer in this age group rarely presents as adnexal torsion. If ovarian torsion is suspected, timely intervention with diagnostic laparoscopy is indicated once again to preserve as much ovarian function and future fertility as possible. A minimally invasive surgical approach is recommended with detorsion and preservation of the adnexal structures regardless of the appearance of the ovary. So again, that's a clinical pearl. Try to leave that ovary in, if possible, even if it looks black and affected. A surgeon should not remove a torsed ovary unless ophorectomy is completely unavoidable, like there is severe necrosis or it is falling apart from necrotic breakdown. Once again, you don't have to remove the torsed adnexa in an adolescent. It will reheal unless it is severely and overtly necrotic. 
Next, according to the college, a cystectomy does not need to be performed. Let's say that again. A cystectomy does not need to be performed at the time of detorsion because it may cause additional trauma. If a cystectomy is not performed, the surgeon may consider incision and drainage for very large cysts. An ultrasound to reevaluate the cyst at 6 to 12 weeks is recommended. Again, that's different from how I trained because the idea was to remove that cyst to decrease the risk of occurrence. But we know now that in adolescence, the majority of these cysts will resolve. So if anything, perform an incision and drainage and simply follow it up in 6 to 12 weeks. Lastly, multi-specialty collaboration is crucial to optimize care and ensure that minimally invasive detorsion with ovarian preservation is the standard treatment provided to all adolescents with that next torsion. All right, thanks for being part of our Clinical Pearls family. The reference for this podcast was the upcoming August 2019 committee opinion from the college on adnexal torsion in adolescence. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.